This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, The Progressive, The Daily Show, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, and The Colbert Report with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users, also from The Colbert Report. Let's get to that Mississippi parent personhood law. Well, these bat crap crazy right wingers are at it again, ladies and gentlemen, in an attempt to exercise their control over women's bodies. Right wingers in Mississippi, and in that I can include the Democrat who is running for governor there. These backward-ass people in Mississippi. Tomorrow, November 8th, they will vote on a change to their constitution to declare fertilized human eggs to be a legal person. So, abortion? Well, that's murder. Because you're killing a person. Uh, IUDs? Yeah. Birth control? Well, that's murder. Because you're keeping a fertilized egg from becoming a person. Or, I guess, no, not from becoming a person. A fertilized egg is a person. Morning after pills? Murder. On top of this, now, of course, now, if this constitutional uh, change in Mississippi actually passes, it will unlikely pass the constitutional test on a federal level, but it would take years to get there. And, of course, the implications of this law being in effect in this state would be stunning. You get raped, you're... Um, Father rapes you, a stranger rapes you. Well, that fertilized egg, that's a person. So, no abortion, no morning after pill. Can't even use an IUD. Um, in vitro fertility treatments, forget about it. Because many of those fertilized eggs get thrown out. The person or person shall include every human being from the moment of fertilization, cloning, or the functional equivalent thereof. Now, here's the best part about this, and we've talked about this, and I, don't, I can't remember if it's blastuli or whatever the, the physiological term is. That's not necessarily my wheelhouse. But uh, this piece mentioned this, but, but hopefully everyone knows this. Randall Hines, a fertility specialist in Jackson working against Proposition 26, said the amendment reflects biological ignorance. I would add it reflects all sorts of types of ignorance. But this guy's a biologist, so he probably is a little more sensitive to biology. Once you recognize that the majority of fertilized eggs 
don't become people, then you recognize how absurd this amendment is. A fertilized egg must, at the very least, attach to the uterus before it can turn into uh, a, an embryo and then a fetus and then get born and become a person. So every time, if these are people or persons, these fertilized eggs, every time a woman has her dirty time, as these people would call it, every time we should be stoning women, according to the Bible, when they have their dirty time, we take them far away from where people live, and we stone them, I think it is, right? Or do they just have to live out in the woods for two weeks? I can't remember exactly what, but it's in there, and we should be following it, obviously. Um, we also need to have mass funerals. Because you could have hundreds of these persons dying every month, just based on one woman. And, I mean, what other rights? I mean, do I, get a, do I get to declare a dependent? If I live in Mississippi and I have a responsible uh, for, I have all these persons that I get to deal with, who presumably are my dependents, do I get to write them off for tax purposes? The difference between being a person and being human life or human life form is birth. When you are living on your own, outside of the necessity of a placenta, then you're a person. Prior to that, you are potentially a person. But I mean, why stop at fertilized eggs? Why don't we protect eggs? And semen. Matt's going like, no, please, oh, no, please. <laughs> no, no. This is just ridiculous. And I hope the people in Mississippi are smart enough to uh, vote this down. And this is going to come as a shock to you. Right now, it's 45% of voters support the insane uh, personhood amendment. 44 oppose. 11% of voters are still undecided. Men. Support it at a 48 to 42. Rate whites, 54 to 37. Republicans, 65 to 28 percent. Women, 42, 4, 46 against. African Americans, 26, uh, 4, 59 against. And Democrats, 23 support, 61 oppose. And independents oppose it at 35 to 51. What a surprise at all those white men in Mississippi. Surprise, surprise. Good luck to you, morons. Guess we got to give out Social Security numbers, too, right? All those eggs. Yeah, we're going to need numbers. We're going to need some more numbers.
There's a new book out called Erotic Capital by Catherine Hakim, and she argues that women should use sex appeal to level the playing field at work, and that women should essentially flaunt it at work. But erotic capital is apparently not as simple as plastic surgery and charm school. And this is not the type of argument you would expect from someone like Hakim, who describes herself as a feminist, especially not the type of argument you would hear from someone who has made basically a career of studying the inequities of women at work, using your sexuality to get ahead. And many women already do that to some degree, but considering sex appeal to be the last straw to shatter that glass ceiling, I don't know that in the long run it is really going to be beneficial for women. Is it, that was my initial reaction. Right. What do you think? I guess I have to agree. I'd say that uh, over time, things are getting better. Uh, why throw a wrench into it like this? Well, Catherine Hakim is a research fellow at the London School of Economics, and she's completely serious about this. The book is close to 300 pages, and it's basically a uh, story of why women should use sexual capital to level the playing field at work. And she says this is more than just... Uh, well, she says it's a combination of beauty, style, social skills, charm that can be learned. And she says if, if this may mean you have to spend a lot of money on brand name clothes, this may mean you need to diet, you need to exercise, that nobody wants to hire the overweight. So that as sad as it is, you need to play the game. And if you want to get ahead and leverage erotic capital, you need to diet, you need to exercise, you might need to tan, you might need hair dye, maybe you need cosmetic surgery, and that these are all necessary evils if you want to make it to the top. Now, on one hand, when I was looking through this, I said to myself, it's almost being written like people are forgetting that there's a preference for attractive women, right? And I don't mm -hmm. think anybody's forgetting that. Right. The question is, is it really leveling the playing field if women are doing well by leveraging what is being discussed here as erotic capital. Is it really leveling of the playing field if that's why they are getting more promotions, higher salaries, into more positions of power? Let me ask you this. I mean, is the idea that this is a means to an end, that by doing this for a certain amount of time, women will be in positions of power where the system will be different and they won't any longer have to do this? That's the, that's the question. Is it going to be, if, if this works, if women level the playing field successfully in the short or medium term by leveraging erotic capital? Is it going to make it such that then, because there will be so many women in power, this is no longer an issue? I completely disagree. I think women in power who get into power as a result of using erotic capital are going to be making decisions along the same lines that they are being made now by men in this framework. In other words, those women who get into power by using erotic capital are going to use the same parameters of style, attractiveness, etc. to make their promotion, hiring, salary decisions. I don't, I don't, that's not going to be true in every case. Not in every case, but on the whole, that, I don't could think be. it will really level the playing field. I'd imagine in this book she has some type of poll or study on attractive women and pay salaries, we know, positions of power. We know is there any of that? There is a beauty premium. It's been well documented. But 
not only do attractive women face, you know, have certain positive aspects, uh, in, or rather, certain um, easier times with certain things at work in terms of negotiating salary. Uh, you know, we don't have to go through it, but they are also often resented by colleagues and viewed as less intelligent or vain. And let's be honest, who really wants to be wondering all the time, did I really deserve the raise or promotion or recognition, or was it based on my looks? Maybe well, if Catherine, you follow this book, clearly you don't care. Maybe Catherine Hakim is saying, use it because you're able to use it. I don't know. For the sake of discussion, what would happen if a buff, handsome man came dressed into work with muscle shirts and tight pants in an office mostly with women. I mean, let's reverse it. I think most people would just assume the guy was gay. I think actually that's what happened. I don't think it would have the same effect. Or deem it unprofessional and unnecessary. You think? One of the two. I don't know that a reversal on this one from male to female really gets us any further because in, in thinking about it because I think it would just be seen completely different. True, but the but the same uh, attractiveness rule applies. The same attractiveness rule applies. Yeah, you're not going to be worse off if you're more attractive right. even as a man. Right. We're throwing down our push brooms. We're hanging up our apron ties. We're coming from our back rooms. Out of the fields and the factory lines. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Mississippi citizens are going to the polls to vote on one of the most obnoxious anti-abortion measures to come down the pike in years. This one would amend the state constitution to define a person at the moment of fertilization. This obviously would ban abortion outright and make it equivalent to murder. A doctor who provides a patient with an abortion could be tried for murder. A woman who has a miscarriage could even potentially be prosecuted. So could those doing in vitro fertilization whenever a zygote doesn't survive. On top of all that, the Mississippi measure would also ban many forms of birth control, including the pill. It's astonishing to me that almost four decades after Roe v. Wade, we're still having this debate over whether a woman can have a clean, safe abortion with a capable doctor providing it. And it's astonishing that the so-called right to life movement has now rolled back the clock to try to ban the pill, too. What's next? Outlawing masturbation? The Mississippi measure, called Initiative 26, would have very little chance of surviving a Supreme Court challenge, even under the Roberts Court, which is saying a lot. It's an effort, though, to gin up the social conservatives and to return women to a place of subservience. And that's why it's so reprehensible. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
wa I watch a lot of uh, uh, Fox News <laughs> because I hate my own head. Uh, but my favorite not, uh, Fox News personality, and this is true, hands down, uh, Megyn Kelly, the host of America Live. It runs in the afternoons, and uh, Megyn went on maternity leave three and a half months ago, and Fox tried to pull a fast one, replacing her with uh, this lady for a little bit, and then, in some cases, this other lady. Come on, Fox, you think you can sneak just any pretty blonde lady into Megyn Kelly's chair and we won't notice? All right, it did take me a couple days to notice. By the way, I happen to know it is an anchor lady harvest season until October. Well, good news, my friends. Megyn Kelly back in the studio this week. Plus, new hairdo with the same take-no-prisoners attitude. Watch your take on this talk radio host who had the nerve to make a crack about her while she was off the air. Here's what you said well, let me put on, on your radio show. Radio show. Yes. Stand by. Megan's on, still on maternity leave, right? Yeah. Well, that's what do you a, mean? You're you complaining? She's, well, she's bonding with her baby. What a racket that is. I mean, men don't get to what bond. What a racket? Well, how much time does she get off to have to share Probably the baby? three months. Would you care to explain those remarks, Mr. Gallagher? Maternity leave? It's a racket? Well, are you going to disagree that there is a... Now, again, I'm, a, I'm on oh, my you're knees standing in, by. Are you in, doubling in down? No, 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 no. Are you not taking those <laughs> remarks back? Is maternity leave, according to you, a racket? How is it a racket? <laughs> Does it make you laugh? Is my special bond with my baby here to amuse you? You tell me how it's like a racket. You son of a bitch. How is my maternity leave a racket? My wife? No. <laughs> Different movie. Megyn Kelly is badass. That guy, that guy was calling maternity leave a racket. He was saying that women shouldn't get paid for, and Megyn Kelly was just like, Rah! never get between a mama grizzly and her maternity leave. She's making quite a spirited argument that workers are entitled to certain benefits and that society has an interest in protecting these benefits, which is great and really weird. Wait, because that's not the Fox Megyn Kelly that I thought I knew. Do you think that there's get any um, getting the tentacles that government has, has placed into our lives out? Are we just stuck with these massive entitlement programs that we have now? She used to hate entitlement programs. <laughs> Mandated benefits and things like that. See if you can spot the difference between Megyn Kelly coming off of maternity leave and, and some of her earlier work. What is it about getting pregnant and carrying a baby nine months that you don't think deserves a few months off so bonding and recovery can take place. Hmm? The, the entitlement, you know, that sense of entitlement, they've been built into the cake. You know, they're in the system. And so to try to take them away now, it's like trying to take Social Security away. Once Very it's in, tough. how do you get rid of it? The United States is the only advanced country that doesn't require paid leave. The free market should dictate. The free market no, no, should guide. That's the no, way it works in, no, in American society. No, if anything, the United States I, is I, in the dark ages when it comes to maternity leave. A lot of our viewers don't see it that way. They see it as a, the first step towards socialism. They see it as the creation of a welfare state. Well, do men get maternity leave, Megan? I, I yeah. can't believe I'm asking you Guess this. Guess what, honey? They do. Yes, they do. It's called no. a family. Really? Medical Leave really? Act. If men would like to take right. three months off to go take care of their newborn baby, they can. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lee, but don't they call it maternity leave for a reason? How is it discriminatory to give less time to the man who didn't have the baby? I know what happened. When you cut your hair, it sapped your conservative strength. Like a right-wing Samson. That means Rachel Maddow's just ten scissorless weeks from a Fox contract. <laughs> See, this, this is the problem with entitlements. They're really only entitlements 
when there's something other people want. When it's something you want, they're a hallmark of a civilized society, the foundation of a great people. I just had a baby and found out maternity leave strengthens society. But since I still have a job, unemployment benefits are clearly socialism. <laughs> to put it more simply, have you noticed that they're stuffing and you're is stuff? Once again, George Carlin says in a sentence what took us three and a half minutes. So either Megyn Kelly has inadvertently exposed the hypocrisy at the heart of conservative demonization of unions and the working class, or... Oh my God, it's worse than we thought. Megyn Kelly is suffering from postpartum compassion. <laughs> It'll pass. We'll be right back. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. got uh, Mississippi attempting to protect uh, the, uh, is it the zygotes? It, uh, is that what you call it? The zygotes? The fertilized eggs. God. And um, I, I, I just, I hope in Mississippi they set up a um, sort of a uh, menstrual holocaust uh, memorial for all of those uh, persons who, um, who essentially, I guess, die, uh, you know, when they uh, don't stick to their uterus as they're going around. That's what I think we should have in Mississippi is probably some type of, I mean, why is the, why is the education system in Mississippi not teaching these fertilized eggs how to attach themselves to the uterus? There are thousands of, of, of persons dying um, and ending up in a sanitary napkin. And yet, the people of Mississippi are not stopping this carnage. They're allowing all of these persons to just... Essentially, I guess, it, I guess it's a mass suicide by the fertilized eggs persons jumping to their death in these sanitary napkins. You know, the funeral industry must be foaming at the mouth for this law to pass. If you, I will say this, as a, um, as a, uh, as a public service announcement, if you are good with your hands, if you're good at work, woodworking and can make tiny, 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 microscopic 
coffins. Like I'm squinting now and putting my fingers. You make a tiny, tiny coffin. If you can do that, you will become a millionaire because you can sell these coffins, thousands of them, every day, hundreds of thousands of them probably every day in Mississippi for the tiny, tiny persons, people, or fertilized eggs, however you want to refer to them, Mr. and Mrs. Fertilized Egg. Oh. And then, then you've got to bury them. And then you're going to need tiny, tiny headstones. Tiny, the tiniest of headstones. You know, if you own even the smallest plot of land, you can open a cemetery. Yeah, you could, you could, open, a, you could open a cemetery in just a pot. <laughs> just to put a pot with dirt. And you could have like thousands and thousands of fertilized eggs. And just, you, can, you could become your own... Tiny, tiny, tiny coffins. And just think, I mean, gosh. And what you're and you know what else is gonna be a growth industry? Priests, pastors, rabbis, justices of the peace, whoever would run a funeral. You're going to be you're going you're never going to sleep. Constant constant funerals for all of these fertilized eggs that did not attach to the uterus the death of all these people slash the fertilized eggs that did not attach to the uterus I, it's just god the carnage i it's just like millions of hindebergs uh, every time every time a woman heads to the bathroom during, uh, you know, that time of the month. It's just, I can't even, I can't even begin to think of it. I just, all those, God, the horror. You really do got to look at sort of the economic benefits of it. There'll be baby gap and now there'll be fertilized egg gap. Can you imagine, like, condolence cards? Every month. Sorry to hear the loss of thousands of people. Sorry for your many losses. Sorry for your many, many losses. Uh, how about the whole anchor baby thing? What happens in that situation? Oh, yeah, I guess. You don't want... Uh, you don't want... Um, Every woman who spends a month in America would be would be would be here for would be stuck here. Would be All good. those immigrants um, using their menstrual cycle to have uh, um, anchor uh, fertilized eggs. Wow, it's very complicated.
New York City will mandate their sex education. What they're planning on doing is offering a comprehensive sex ed curriculum to uh, students in either 6th or 7th grade, and then again in either ninth or 10th grade. And as I mentioned, it is comprehensive, meaning that they're going to focus on uh, contraception. They're also going to talk about abstinence a little bit, but not abstinence as in wait until you're married, abstain until you are ready to have sex. They're also going to talk about STDs, AIDS, all of that. Okay, basically equip these students with as much knowledge as possible regarding sex so they know what to do when they are ready to experiment. Can I already throw in something just from the point that's always said in these in the sex ed is they want to teach them how to wait or abstain until they're ready. Right. How is that taught? So if you, if you especially if you're doing it in a classroom in a in an educational environment, how do you teach a kid when they're ready if it's different for every kid? and right. their circumstance and whatever they feel and if they're making a wrong decision even if it's something that's just based on the person they're involved with it just you know it's just it, it it, that's the only odd part. I feel like that's I a throwaway line it basically to, to tell people, we're teaching them to wait until they're ready. What does that mean? I think that, you know, in terms of girls, the most mm. important thing that you can do is tell them that they don't need to give in to pressure. Right, and that was something that was that was actually taught to me when I was in uh, school. We had comprehensive sex ed. I went to a total hippie school, which I loved. <laughs> but they taught us everything, right? And I remember uh, one of the things that really stood out to me as like a sixth grader was the health teacher telling us as women or little girls, basically, mm -hmm. that you know you are going to go through much of middle school and high school. Boys are going to try to pressure you into having sex. They're going to make you feel like a horrible person, and they're going to call you names like prude. But if mm -hmm. you're called a prude, you're not a bad person don't buy into it you know just do it when you're ready women and a lot of girls a lot of girls give into that pressure because they don't know better it, okay. prude for some reason all has this like negative connotation prude's a great word <laughs> okay prude is wonderful if someone calls you a prude that means you're not a skank okay and like don't <laughs> let them don't let them put and you that's down. something too it's, it goes both ways yeah prudes you know fine whatever uh -huh. but then if you've had sex before and you're like you know, 17 years old, and then they go to, oh, slut. I've always hated that. You yeah, no, idiot. no, no, and you're not you a idiot. slut so if like you've done that. Exactly, so it's, there's, there's always just, there's always extremes, especially with kids. Um, but, I'll, I mean... <sighs> Look, it is oh. different for everyone, but the point is, How do you, you teach tell it? them, you tell them everything that they need to know, so they decide for themselves when they're ready, okay? If, if you know well, the likelihood of getting pregnant without using contraception, then you might hold off a little bit longer and, and until you know you can purchase that contraception or until you can get a hold of that contraception. It's important to tell kids to wait until they're ready. And it's not like abstain until you are in 11th grade in the middle of the right. second semester. That's right. not what they're saying. They're you just saying, yeah. yeah, but, and it is different for everyone, mm -hmm. okay? I know when I was in middle school, there were girls that were already having sex and they swore they were ready for it, right? Mm -hmm. All right, that's good for them. They were ready for it. And they grew up to be lovely adults. They never got pregnant, nothing like that. Um, that wasn't the case for me. That wasn't the case for a lot of other people. So you get Crude. to decide. <laughs> so I, you see what I'm saying? But you know what? In middle school, the boys would say that. They would call you a prude if you didn't have sex in middle school. That's the, see, that's the thing. Okay, <laughs> they're teaching girls this, what, in sixth grade, 11 years old. Man, women are going to deal with pressure their whole
It's the Onion Radio News. A rise in teen sexual activity comes as a surprise to an area teen. This is Doyle Redland reporting. A report released by the Alan Guttmacher Institute today has charted a dramatic increase in teen sexual activity, a finding that surprised policymakers, public health officials, and 17-year-old Tom Ellis. So more teens are having sex, are they? Well... I don't know where those guys got their data. Ellis learned of the trend after a recent 2020 story revealed that 82.6% of his peers aged 15 to 19 have engaged in some form of sexual contact and that Ellis alone will remain doomed to virginity for the remainder of his senior year. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News Online. You know, I almost think, like, if it wasn't for the fact that there would be so many women who would suffer, it's almost like, good, let's let Mississippi be the, um, the Petri dish of stupidity. See what happens. We could send all our stupid bills down there, all our inhumane things. Let's just like Ma Mississippi, where you can uh, torture uh, and harass school children if they... Um, if you sincerely believe they deserve it, personhood begins, I really do think that to do like at conception is a little bit, at a fertilized egg is a little bit trying to have your cake and eat it too. I think it should begin as soon as the semen leaves your organ or as soon as a, an egg is generated. Semen's people too. Let's do that in Mississippi. Uh, what else can we do? What else can? What other laws can we use in Mississippi? Let's just make Mississippi just the petri dish for everything that is stupid and offensive, just to see what would happen. Let's get rid of also while we're at it. Let's get rid of all consumer protection and worker protection there. Okay, and child labor. We should have fertilized eggs should be legal for them to work. There's no reason why a fertilized egg or even the product of ejaculation should not have to go and work. All you hippie do-gooder lefties who say, we need to let prevent these people from working. No. People should be working from the moment of conception. There are plenty of things that a fertilized egg could be doing. They can get into very tiny places. <laughs> Maybe they could be fertilizing, uh, like, in our gardens. There's all sorts of things I'm sure they could be doing. Yeah, we're, we're losing bees, so they could take over that job. They could, they could make honey. <laughs> and so we also get rid of all consumer protections, so that as soon as a fertilized egg can eat, uh, we're feeding it full of food that has been sort of unregulated and, you know, who knows what. There's a lot of interesting experiments we could do with this. 
And if you're a fertilized egg and you eat something that's poison, in this, uh, this conservative paradise that would be Mississippi, you learn a lesson. Don't eat poison food anymore from that maker. And everything it should be like 100% fracking. It should not be optional to lease your land to a fracking person. It should be uh, required. Every fertilized egg or ejaculate should be required to have fracking on their property. And the only responsibility of the fracking company would be to guarantee to destroy your water supply. That's the only thing. And then we could just all, would you call that Mississippi? And then the good thing is, is that they try and do it somewhere else. We could just say, we don't want your Mississippi values here. It's, a, it's an option. We should think about it. You know what we should do? Why don't we poll? Why don't we see if we can hire? I, I would actually spring for this poll. Let's see if we can get a, a reputable polling firm, just a reputable one now, and poll all the fertilized eggs to see uh, what they think about this proposal. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Tonight is a feminist icon and the subject of a new HBO documentary. And it's only 75% as long as documentaries about men. Please welcome Gloria Steinem. <laughs> Gloria, good to see you again. How are you doing? Good, good. All right, I don't have to introduce you. You're, uh, as I said, you're a feminist icon. No, no, Yes, no. no, you are. You're a feminist icon. The there are people who wear pictures of you around their neck. <laughs> <laughs> but icon is really dangerous because then you get an iconoclast. You know what I mean? I mean, Oh, yeah, people not come tearing idea. after you. People come <laughs> right? attacking you for being an icon, and here we go. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm ready. Okay. All right. um, this documentary, it's Gloria, in her own words. Um, why do you need to express yourself in your own words. Are you misinterpreted by other people? Probably, and probably that will go right on because it is in my own words, but it's just much more intimate, I think, because you, well, here's what happened. They asked me questions and I tried to answer as honestly as I could. Uh, and then they created a documentary around it. So it's kind of like jumping off a cliff, you know, for, <laughs> And uh, it turned out amazingly it's well. A, it's a great yeah. documentary. Yeah, it's, it, no, no. It's, it, really is, it really is a window into a time when sexism existed. 
<laughs> but now everything's equal. There, there, there's spanks for men now. There are. I there are. There's spanks for men. Yeah, Trust me. Only certain. <laughs> um, where, where do you where do you see uh, the feminist movement existing now? Well, actually, the thing that concerns me about the documentary is that people look at it and see where we have been for 20 or mm -hmm. 30 or 40 years and how much we've done. We've done a lot because, you know, now we know that, say, women can do what men can do. Most folks right. would agree with that. Absolutely. But we don't know that men can do what women can do. Uh-huh. Ah, we cannot, we <laughs> cannot have, we cannot have the babies. No, and, and therefore... We cannot have the babies. I have and that's talked why, to a lot of doctors. <laughs> and that's why it would be great if men spent that much more than half the time caring for the children, because women have spent a year or whatever, you know, so... Nine months. So, so... I don't know, I don't know what species... I don't know what species but you're I, from, but nine months where I come from. Oh, so, so you, you, nobody nursed you? No, 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 no. I was, I, I had, uh, I had formula. <laughs> I'm a child of the 60s. That explains. So, so <laughs> men should share half, men should share half the duties plus nine months. That would even things out. Yeah, right. Lo that's logic. Log logic is in the eye of the logician, right? No, but I mean, it's really important, seriously, that, that kids grow up knowing that men can be as loving and nurturing as women can. I thought the role of the father was to take his emotion and stuff it down as much as he can. Until it comes out inappropriately at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, let's look at a quick little clip. What we are talking about is a revolution and not a reform. Gloria Steinem, she is the most visible symbol of the women's movement. You understand it's not a role exchange. We're not trying to, to do to men what men have done to us. We're trying to humanize both roles. Every generation has its own names. More than a third of this march is women under 25 years old. You know, people who empower other people. Susan B. Anthony said, our job is not to make young women grateful, it's to make them ungrateful. So they keep going. We're not going to stop. If there was one thing that you could tell to younger women today who um, did not experience the feminist movement of the 60s and the 70s, mm -hmm. one example of what happened then that doesn't happen anymore, that changed because of the feminist movement, what, what would it be? What would you shock them with? Uh, well, there are a lot of things in the movie, as you'll see, you know, that... We don't have time you, for the whole you, movie you could, right now. <laughs> <laughs> that you, 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 there, there were restaurants in which women could not be seated or could not go at lunchtime. There we, when we got married, we lost most of our civil rights, our names, our credit ratings, our legal domicile. Uh, and, and basically we thought that our position was due to nature or, you know, Freud or God. I mean, I don't know. But Penis anyway, envy. <laughs> There's I, nothing to be envious of, by the way. <laughs> It's really a burden. Well, uh, <laughs> you, I have heard you say. It is. I have it, heard you say that you were uncomfortable being perceived of as pretty, like the pretty feminist. Why? Well, it, it's it has to do with being identified by your outsides, not your insides. So women mm -hmm. who were pretty were people said, oh, they just succeeded because they were pretty. Mm -hmm. Women who were not pretty, whatever that means, they said, oh, that's just, she's succeeding because she couldn't get a man. So we all basically had the same problem of mm -hmm. being identified by our outsides, right. 
instead of our hearts and minds and so on. And uh, but the fact you know, that is, still goes on. Right. But right, the fact right. is, you're pretty. Well, you're pretty too. I've been waiting the whole interview for that. <laughs> I can't believe I had to wait six minutes. Gloria, thank you so much. Gloria Steinem, the documentary Gloria in her own words premieres Monday night on HBO. We'll be right back. Mississippi's personal, uh, personhood amendment has been defeated, fortunately. This is the one that would have stipulated life begins at conception. It would have banned a lot of forms of birth control. It was defeated, fortunately. It lost 58% to 42%. That's good. It's still shocking that close to half of people thought it was a good idea to vote yes on that. That's really the shocking thing. Right, right. Not, uh, not a big enough margin there. No. And what's the logic? I mean, is it, do you think it's religion why people vote this way? Because I, I really don't think that without having the cloud of religion over you, you would think, yeah, it's, it's a good idea to define personhood this way. It has to be religion. I mean, uh, I really don't think that uh, the people pushing this in that state were arguing uh, funding or or anything like that or talking about taxpayer dollars when it comes to health care and you know no well, it's purely a religious issue they're obviously pro-family and whatever that means at this point they they obviously are they are that what's more of a person i mean we have a lot of debates about what is a person is a fertilized egg more of a person than a corporation i think that's a legitimate question at this point given corporate personhood yeah in this country that that is a question i'd say uh i'd say the fetus Okay, I think a corporation's more of a person. Really? Oh, what, the, what the hell? Okay. I mean, it's, we're kind of uh, arguing in fantasy land here, which is where a lot of these political proposals begin and end, actually. Right. kindergartner tackles the shit out of his dream girl. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Five-year-old Jonah Evans fell in love today and expressed his feelings by wrestling Marcy Whitaker to the ground and pushing her face into the mud until she wept with emotion. Evans caught his soulmate off guard while she was focused on the contents of her book bag. Teacher Paula Wentz witnessed the encounter. I think if he really loved her, he would have forced her to eat some grass. I mean, 
That's how you know. When asked if wedding bells were in the lucky couple's future, Evans responded that he would love nothing more than to tackle Whitaker until they are both old and gray. Doyle Redland for The Onion as Radio long News. As the grass grows, river flows, as long as the wind blows, that's how long as an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Now, I know uh, many of you, if you followed any of the results, <clears throat> are quite happy today. Um, in Mississippi, the attempt to make a zygote a person failed, uh, wreaking havoc on all of the entrepreneurs looking to sell products to zygotes, and um, we will get into that. But... You know, there's another take on this, folks, and I don't know if this is going to uh, maybe perhaps have you reconsider your perspective on this. Um, this is audio from Phil Bryant. He was the Mississippi Lieutenant Governor. He is the co-chair of the Yes on Amendment 26. Uh, he was voted in to be the next governor, but uh, this is what he had to say uh, on the eve of the vote to make zygotes people. And so we, we are making tremendous strides. Now, this is a battle of good and evil. Uh, and, and let's just let's just make it plain. This the 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 evil side, the dark side of the forces, the uh, Satan and those that would love to continue to kill children while still in the womb are out there using every effort that they can, anything at their disposal. Now, even in, in, in these times, if you talk too much about the fact that evil does exist, people will think, oh, well, he's some, there's something wrong with him. What times are we living in when it is, it, it is politically incorrect for someone to say, Satan has a hand in this? And you've got to understand we've got to fight against the gates of hell. To, to prevail here, and that's exactly what I've been saying, and I, I hope people will. I think when I say those things, I see people uh, recognizing the fact that this is a, a, a biblical battle of good and evil. You know, um, I would suggest to the uh, governor-elect that uh, when he says those things, the look that he's seeing on those people's face is not one necessarily of recognition, uh, but one where they're thinking to themselves, oh, my God. This guy's going to be our governor. Now, of course, the bad news here is that Satan won yesterday in Mississippi on this ballot measure. I don't know, but I suspect this could have implications for Christmas. Uh, I don't know if uh, Satan can call off Christmas 
or if Satan wins on something like this, that uh, Christmas nobody gets presents, everybody just get cold. I don't know. Uh, but this is, I would prepare your children now. Because if they find out Christmas morning, well, Satan won in Mississippi, and so Santa Claus didn't bring any, any gifts. They're going to be pissed. Uh, North Carolina anti-abortion centers. You know what this story reminded me of, Lewis? Remember when Chris Slattery was on the show, the uh, pregnancy center guy, and he hung up on me? Yeah. I'll play a clip of that a little later, but uh, a North Carolina abortion rights group revealed on Monday that most crisis pregnancy centers, or CPCs in North Carolina, are misleading women about their health care options. We needed a report to know that? Obviously, we know that, Lewis. Mm-hmm. This is no surprise. No. And if you don't understand what I mean by this, what happens? I, 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 honestly, how do people not even know this is going on? A uh, woman goes into one of these so-called pregnancy centers. It's not a licensed medical facility. There typically aren't doctors. They don't perform abortions. Your options there are very, very limited. The idea is, is for it to sound like a place where you can get health care, okay? Many times they simply delay you until it's too late to legally obtain an abortion in your state. Many times they simply talk to you about how abortion is uh, morally wrong. In one particular case, now we're finding out, in North Carolina, one of these pregnancy centers, so-called pregnancy centers, told a, uh, an investigator posing as a pregnant Jewish woman that she would not go to heaven unless she converted to Christianity. Five centers told her this. This is a place masquerading as a medical facility, not only is it not a medical facility, it's a facility based on proselytizing to get women who need health care to convert to Christianity to go to heaven. And you know what? You know what the incredible catch-22 here is? Because they actually aren't medical facilities, they're not subject to the same restrictions, and therefore it's actually harder to prosecute them or, or regulate them because they aren't actually medical facilities. Mm -hmm. So someone goes to this facility looking for help uh, with their pregnancy, right? And uh, they get the Bible thrown at them. Exactly. Okay. Does that make sense to you? How is this legal? How is this legal? I mean, really, this is an incredible amount of disrespect and lack of care towards women. It's unbelievable. The other thing going on in North Carolina is that the uh, there was the possibility of getting a license plate that says choose life on it in uh, in North Carolina okay and the uh, these centers have been in operation for years they've gotten more attention after the Republican controlled state legislature decided to provide them public funding from these choose life license plates so if you want here in Massachusetts we have a Red Sox license plate where a portion of the cost goes to the Jimmy fund for example there's a bunch of others here Mm -hmm. Some go to conservation causes. 
in North Carolina, you can basically give public funding through the Choose Life license plate to these anti-abortion centers, these pregnancy, so-called pregnancy centers. ACLU said, wait a second, if you don't have an option for a respect choice license plate or something else, you can't have a Choose Life license plate. And we're now waiting to see what happens there. By the way, there are eight times more of these pregnancy centers in North Carolina than actual clinics that perform abortions. Okay. Now, I want to be very clear here. Um, I hate abortion just as much as any right-winger on the merits. Okay, It's a horrible thing for anyone to have to go through. And where I differ is that it's not a decision for religious right-wingers to make for other people it should be available. There is absolutely no reason that politicians should be making decisions for families, for men, women, whoever it may be. But the idea that anybody who believes abortion should be legal is pro-abortion or likes abortions, I have to say, Lewis, I am, I am as horrified by the prospects of abortion as anybody, as anybody you can find. Absolutely. I agree. But uh, that's how it goes. There's, there's pro-life. And there's pro-abortion. In the, in the eyes of many conservatives. And right. it's completely right. wrong, especially when I so mean, I many... I can't even remember the last time I heard someone use the term pro-choice. Well, again, when, when so many so-called pro-life policies result in more death than life, it's pretty embarrassing. Just to remind you, this entire interview is... Uh, if you Google David Pakman, Chris Slattery, you'll find this. This is the only time a guest has hung up on me. Take a listen to this. You sound like you get the talking points from Planned Parenthood in your hands. No, no, I, I'm just asking questions, and you seem to be getting agitated with the well, questions themselves. Well, I am themselves. agitated because I, I, I thought this, this, this was not about uh, whether or not pregnancy centers are uh, practicing medicine, but about the defunding of Planned Parenthood. That's what the interview was arranged for. That, that is indeed, sir. You brought up the but fact that people... We can back people... to the topic if you don't mind, or I, I have to get back to something else. The, the way we got onto pregnancy centers and whether they're licensed facilities is you said that people should be going there instead of Planned Parenthood. You brought it up, sir, so don't tell me it's my agenda, first of all, okay? I'm listening. Okay. My question, question. my question is, do you deny the CBS New York report that indicated you are not licensed medical facilities? That's just the question. Are you or are you not a licensed medical facility? Is EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers a licensed medical facility? Uh, no, we're not. Okay. So when you're suggesting people go there instead of Planned Parenthood, you are suggesting people go to a place that is not a licensed medical facility. Yes or no? I'm not in a court of law, my friend. I am not on the witness stand. I'm doing a radio interview. And don't give me the option of yes and no answers. I'm going to explain myself Please or get off the air. You, you have, you're free to do either, sir. Okay. I'll get off. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Human, and they're, we're therefore susceptible to bias. 
My decade as a policeman, it seems to me the majority of people who are attracted to this profession are of a conservative mindset, despite the fact that most of us are union. I am in an extreme minority. There are very few liberals, and I'm the only cop I know who's a registered socialist. At any rate, many of the right-wing officers do allow their opinions to color their enthusiasm with which they carry out their duties. That said, when it comes to organized protests, we're all required to follow orders that are not immoral, illegal, or unsafe. We also know what the job market's like. Most policemen have very few marketable skills outside of private security in which the pay is crap. We don't hold out hope for the very few of us that identify with the Occupy movement to stand up to our supervisors when they order us to utilize just-conceived local ordinances to remove protesters. The fear of being fired for insubordination is powerful enough to overcome just about all of our concerns for the civil rights lawsuits that are sure to come later. We are, after all, people with families to feed. However, there are those among my profession with a conservative mindset, colored by talk radio and, of course, Fox News. And you know, more cops get their news from Fox News than only Fox News you could possibly imagine. The most frustrating thing you can imagine would be a profession where everyone around you has no fucking clue what is really happening in the world around them. We in Florida have a legislature that this January is wrapping up again to try to strip away our right to collect union dues, which means no more unions, and to outlaw our pensions ban the pensions into which we contribute our salary. Still, in union meetings, people stand up and shout, I'll never vote for a damn Democrat. It, it, it's insane. This willful ignorance is how you get cops that legally use pepper spray on peaceful protesters, an act that's been banned by case law. We all know this. We're required to know this. And still it happens. I, for one, don't mind being videotaped, as I respect my oath of office, and will use, restraint, use with restraint my power to take away a person's freedom. I'd love to actually participate in my local education. However, even an illegal, unconstitutional misdemeanor arrest would end my career. So if I can contribute in any small way, I'd offer some advice. Stay peaceful no matter what the police do. The same way I have to struggle to remain in control when a handcuffed wife beater spits in my face. I can't knock his teeth out as much as I want to. There will always be a few black block morons that have always stepped up when the right needs an asshole to point to to represent all of us on the left. Distance yourself from them. Stop them if you can. Point them out to the police. They're a danger to this movement. In summary, please remember that most cops are just hardworking union guys that have to put food on the table like everybody else. Feel sorry for those of us who are willfully ignorant that the Occupy movement actually represents us. We're caught in the middle between the corporately owned governments for whom we work and our duty to protect civil rights, whether we know it or not. I'll admit, there are bad apples. But even the best of us are in a very tight spot. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Hey Jay, it's Alex from Texas again. I'm on the road, so I'm uh, marathoning through like 80 year episodes. Uh, anyway, I just want to call again because a throwaway line in one of your, uh, from somebody in one of your Occupy Wall Street uh, episodes kind of sparked an idea. You know, of course, we all heard the by now fairly tired refrain from the mainstream media hey, what do these guys want? You know, what are their solutions? What do they stand for? And uh, I got to think, you know, it's not necessarily their job to present the specific solution. Like, uh, if your doctor does something wrong, you're not going to tell them specifically how to fix it. You're paying your doctor to fix the stuff that he knows. We're paying, our, theoretically, our representatives to fix our problems. So maybe it's the politician's job to come up with solutions. Occupy Wall Street is just saying, hey, you're doing it wrong. Uh, now, of course, we as citizens of this country have a duty to engage and know the issues and you know present suggestions, but, you know... Uh, there's no reason we can't just be mad that 
things are the way they are and, you know, not necessarily have a specific answer. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, it almost seems like it's passing the buck a little bit, but again, it's the, the job of the people in office to, to fix those problems and make the laws. So it doesn't really bother me that much, I guess, that Occupy Wall Street doesn't really have a specific answer. So there you go. Keep doing what you do. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line, especially Policeman Jeff from Florida, who gave us that insider's perspective on Occupy Wall Street and the police. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Just to reiterate a couple of announcements that uh, were on the last show, uh, first of all, if you are a web developer and you're interested in working on a project uh, that is going to be spearheaded by myself in partnership with the David Pakman show, as well as the young Turks, please get in contact with me. I'll give you the details of the project so that you can submit a proposal. And this is a paid position. Uh, so, um, that's that. Let me know if you're interested. And secondly, I want to reiterate that uh, I'm starting a monthly dinner and movie sort of event here in Chicago, on the north side of Chicago, and the details are uh, currently posted in a uh, in the form of a Facebook event. You do not have to have Facebook in order to read it, <laughs> but it is linked up in, uh, in in the show notes of this episode, so you can get the details via Facebook, whether you have Facebook or not, and then uh, let me know if you want to come. You can RSVP on Facebook. If you have any questions or comments or anything along those lines, uh, just contact me at j at bestoftheleft.com. I'm hoping it'll be a, a fun event that'll, that will grow month after month, so uh, we'll see how it starts and, and grows from there. So if you're in the area and, and can possibly make it, I hope you do. Okay, now on to the thing that I really want to talk about today. Uh, so I got, I got an email from a listener a little while ago, a few days ago, uh, who was very much in favor of Occupy Wall Street, but was having trouble defending them in conversation. So when when posed with the questions that we're, we've all heard now, you know, what what's their point? What, what do they really want? What's their plan? What do they hope to accomplish? Those sorts of things. She was looking for some talking points. And so I responded to her via email, but also wanted to share my thoughts with you guys. So above and beyond, the, the number one thing that you can say to that is that they are changing the conversation. You know, it, for decades, we have talked about, you know, the rich and the poor and primarily focused on things like, so the poor are poor. Why is that? Why are poor people poor? And nowadays, there's way more talk than usual about, hey, so the rich, the wildly rich, why are they so rich? And it turns out that the answer to that is not the story that we've all been told that they work really hard or are really smart or they went to school and, and put their nose to the grindstone and they worked their way to the top. No, I mean, uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, the, those who are rich have been able to tilt the game so that they can cheat in their own favor and keep themselves rich and keep everyone else from ever getting rich. And, and so the more that is, uh, you know, discussed, the better it is. So primarily they've changed the conversation. Secondarily, the other question that, that you'll get is, you know, w what's their plan? So, okay. So they're angry. I'm, I'm with you. I'm angry too, but what good is protesting going to do? You know, what, what, what is their, what do they want to have happen by protesting? 
And and really, I mean, it, it, maybe it's not a very satisfying answer, but I don't find it dissatisfying at all. It's that, you know, when, when they initiated the, the protest to begin with, there was no reason to necessarily uh, insist that they predict that they, they would have begun to change the conversation in the country. They, you know, they didn't need to have that as one of their goals to ch – we want to march to change the conversation. You know, they so, – they didn't necessarily know, know that, that was going to happen, but it did happen and it is happening. And so the other things that will happen down the road are equally unpredictable. But what you can know for sure is that action is favorable to inaction if you want something to happen. So the answer really, you know, as has been said over and over, is that they don't have to know what their goal is because once you start taking action – then a million other things start to happen simultaneously. You know, they, they went down and they started pr protesting in New York and then it sprang into a, a national and international movement of people protesting all over the world effectively for economic justice. You know, that is basically uh, what, what everyone is, uh, is protesting for in one form or another. So the argument can be made that if they were to set a, a specific goal that they uh, were heading towards, that they would then be judged as, as an entire movement as either successful or as a failure based on whether or not they achieve that single goal. But you know, we're not aiming for a point. We're aiming for a horizon. We're just moving in the direction of economic justice. And, and the point of the protest is to raise consciousness about the issue because the more conversation there is about a particular issue, the higher chance there is that progress will be made on it. And that's the point of the protests. So that's it for today. Just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Matthew B. signed up for a leftist monthly membership back on March 28th, 2010. And Darren A. signed up uh, also for a leftist monthly membership on April 11th, 2010. So huge thanks to Matthew and Darren and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading individual clips through your social networks. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Oh, oh, oh.